Hello and welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We're here to talk about Cardinals free agency. We have uh, a lot to discuss, at least tonight. Tonight we'll be talking a little bit about some of the additions that the Cardinals have made over the past few days. We'll continue to discuss the DeAndre Hopkins acquisition. We'll talk a little bit about the impact of the coronavirus as it spreads a bit around even touching into the NFL. And we'll talk a bit about the uh, all-time greatest quarterback, the GOAT, Tom Brady. He is making his move away. Away from the New England Patriots to the NFC. A lot of big news there and some fallout for the Cardinals as they seek after a potential playoff berth next year. My name is Blake Murphy. I'm the co-host of the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Joined as always by my co-host, the venerable John Venerable, aka Johnny Touchdown. And uh, John, how are you doing? And how are you and the fam staying safe uh, as everyone's trying to do during these difficult and trying times? Yeah, we're doing well, Blake. Good to be uh, with everybody tonight. Uh, it is an adjustment period. Thankfully, we've got free agency news to keep us busy. After that uh, runs dry, you know, I, I don't know what we're going to do. Thankfully, we, you know, we live in a part of the country where we can be outside and active uh, when we need to be, taking walks and that kind of thing. Um, you know, picking up our groceries via car and have them delivered, and that, you know, we're we're fortunate in that regard. Uh, so yeah, it's. An, it's an adjustment for sure, but at the same time, uh, you know, the NFL news keeps spinning and uh, really enjoying that distraction, as I'm sure many of our listeners are, to everything else that's gone on. Uh, and now we just wait for the DeAndre Hopkins news to finally become final. And as of this recording, which is taking place on Thursday, March 19th, that has still not happened, Blake. Yeah, as far as it being official, the biggest difference seems to be the fact that it is a trade versus uh, free agent signing. The NFL recently changed their rules to allow free agents who sign as long as the contract is taken care of and both parties have agreed to it. Teams could officially announce. Previously, of course, it was a different scenario. Um, obviously, there's a little bit probably of unsettling from some of the Cardinals fans that who would prefer to see, you know, everything from the official team account, more of a lot of that. But ultimately, John, doesn't seem, at least at this point, that there is going to be any uh, takebacks from the Houston Texans side. Uh, what is interesting is a lot more that's come out of that whole situation that I think it would be good to discuss because... Um, while at first a lot of people are kind of making jokes about how the Cardinals must have attached a couple of pallets of toilet paper along with David Johnson in that trade to the Houston Texans, that's the only way they said it made sense. It does seem that this is essentially a case of almost a rogue NFL head coach who's acting as the general manager who has a beef with a player, ships him off for very, very little, surprising pretty much everyone. There's been reports we've had from Houston Texans players who are former, some deleted tweets by those who are current players, a lot of negativity that's come out about Bill O'Brien, all kind of centering around an early interview that we saw with DeAndre Hopkins that, uh, uh, I should say with Michael Irvin on behalf, I should say, of DeAndre Hopkins, went on, I believe, NFL Live in the morning, uh, essentially saying that Bill O'Brien brought Hopkins into his uh, office for a one-on-one -on -one meeting, compared him to Aaron Hernandez, said he didn't like some of the baby mamas kind of commenting on a player's personal life. And, John, I, I know we've heard of some college coaches who can do crazy things. They can kind of be the czar or almost a dictator of their program. But for an NFL head coach with a fully grown man with all of this and some of the crazy 
crazy things that Bill O'Brien has done. It feels like comparing a star player who just because might rub you the wrong way since they don't want to practice to a convicted murderer is probably pushing the scale a little bit too far. What were some of your thoughts, and do you think that explains a little bit more about why the Cardinals were able to get Hopkins? And moreover, why is it that some of the other teams you think that were curious or poking around didn't make the trade, but Arizona did for that price? Yeah, before we, I get to that response, I do have to say, if you have not checked out BattleRedBlog.com, it's the counterpart, the Houston Texans counterpart to Revenge of the Birds that covers the Cardinals. Go over there and just kind of see how Houston fans are coping with it. I don't mean to make light of the scenario, but I sniffed around that site today, and the the article that breaks the news of Hopkins for David Johnson has 731 comments, oh which my. is which is insane. Um, on average, you know, our our uh, articles get between what, like 25 to 50 comments if it's you know a, a Sunday game recap or something like that. 731 comments. I should tell you the state of Houston right now. But yeah, with that being said, Blake, um, completely uh uncalled for if if it is true which we'd have every reason to believe it's true other players are speaking out against bill o'brien i think he's gotten um a false sense of accomplishment uh he you know rose under bill belichick we've seen how a lot of these guys these brash personalities under belichick kind of take on this egotistical sense that you know belichick for what i for what we've heard from other players you know he's stern but he's not an egomaniac but you think about a josh mcdaniel's what we're hearing now with Matt Patricia, of course, Bill O'Brien. I mean, it's just one thing after another. Um, they won a lot. Um, and I, I mean, by one, they've won the South a, a good amount of times and they've won a couple of playoff games, but they've never really taken that next step. But apparently, if you dominate the NFC or AFC South for the better part of a half a decade, you get to run your franchise like a dictatorship. And I think part of it is Cal. Um, I can't remember their last name. The the individual who uh, runs that organization is the is the president, so the equivalent of of Michael Bidwell. Oh right. Basically, yeah. Basically, ha- has all the faith in the world. Apparently, in Bill O'Brien, lets him pick the players. At this point, he allowed him to run the other GM out of town, um, even though the other the other GM uh, was the one who wanted to pick Deshaun Watson. And now you've got Bill O'Brien essentially gutting their draft capital, gutting the roster to the point now where you, you look at the fact that this team is essentially J.J. Watt and Deshaun Watson and Laramie Tunsil on a one-year deal. That's what their team has yeah. become. And now, half I know they of have, a season of Will Fuller because he never stays yep, healthy. That's right. So at, at the end of the day, I, I everybody who has left that organization recently, and I you know I am not somebody who is considered to be a, a player's guy like I I like the balance that the NFL has as opposed to the NBA I don't like how the NBA is star driven because I feel like fans of those teams those smart market teams will will never really have a chance whereas the NFL if you're competently run you're going to contend right that's that's and you can flip the uh, franchise over mm-hmm. again rebuild quickly we've seen that with Arizona where you just can't do that in Major League Baseball or the NBA without immediate star help um, and so you know, I like that about the NFL, but this is a scenario in which it feels like somebody completely over their head, complete, complete egomaniac. Um, you know, Hopkins himself has never had issues with other coaches, other players, you know, the general manager, the owner. He's been a model citizen by by every sense of the word. Um, and I just feel like at the end of the day, 
Bill O'Brien thinks to himself, like, I don't want to pay this guy what market value is. I'll kind of belittle him to his face, which is what he's done. He's tried to bully him, it sounds like. And so I, I think at the end of the day, listen, based on what we've heard on Twitter, and I can't remember who reported this, whether it was Peter King or Albert Breer or something, where they got word within the organization that the Cardinals offer was the best Houston got, which mm -hmm. is insane. Now, with that being said, does Bill O'Brien consider David Johnson worth uh, maybe like a day two pick? So if David Johnson on his own, let's let's say to ourselves, is in Bill O'Brien's eyes, is worth a second round pick, then the Cardinals offered pick 40 and a second rounder and a fourth rounder, right? Um, that, that has to be my only thought process because there had to have been teams in the late 20s um, even the early part of the second round that would have traded, uh, you know, a pick higher than pick 40 for Deshaun Wa or excuse me, for uh, DeAndre Hopkins. Now, what I can see is maybe Bill O'Brien didn't want to trade him within the AFC. That would make sense. He probably considers Arizona a non-threatening team, didn't want to trade him to another playoff team. I think all of those came into play. Um, and so I, I think at the end of the day, he liked the idea of getting a bell cow that can catch the football, which David can and. You know, in comparison to Todd Gurley, which I'm sure we'll touch on briefly during this pod, David's healthy. David's ready to go. He had minimal carries this year. He's fresh. I don't know how much he's got left in the take in terms of explosiveness, but he's he's ready to go. He's going to pass his physical knock on wood, and he's going to go in and get probably 30 touches a game from Bill O'Brien. And good for him. I hope he bounces back. And then you get pick 40 on top of it. And so at the end of the day, this is a wide receiver. It's going to be 28 years old. He he wants 18 to 20 million. They mm -hmm. didn't want to pay him that. The Cardinals, you know, from every sense, are are happy to pay him that. Mm -hmm. They're going to pay him that at some point when it comes up. So I, at the end of the day, the Cardinals were the benefactor of an egomaniac operating, a head coach operating as a GM. The stars aligned, and I'm not going to complain about it because you know what. This franchise, the Arizona Cardinals, have not had enough of these breaks historically. And I just all end on this, Blake. I was watching Colin Cowherd today, and Peter Schrager said that he was out to eat with Steve Keim and Cliff Kingsbury during the combine. Mm -hmm. And the table right across from them was the Houston Texans brass led by Bill O'Brien. And Keim and Bill O'Brien were very chummy that night. Mm -hmm. So clearly— and hopefully that doesn't allude to the fact that, you know, Kime is as you know horrific as a talent evaluator as Bill O'Brien. I don't think we can say that given his, you know, his last 24 hour period. But clearly Bill O'Brien likes dealing with people he has a relationship with. And in this sense, you have to give it to Kime to for, for for doing the groundwork that clearly has been done over the course of maybe the last month. I mean, uh, John Gamadaro said this trade was agreed to early March, like March 5th. So right after the combine, right yep, after. kudos to Steve Kime. He got this done at the combine, convinced Bill O'Brien to take David Johnson and his salary, giving up only a second round pick. I think this says just as much about Steve Kime and his influence on certain people around the league than it does um, Bill O'Brien. Kime, Kime, say what you want about him. He's a shrewd businessman when it comes to his picks and players, Blake. Yeah, well, I'll also say this because I think it, it – 
it does it is worth mentioning also that when David Johnson sat out and did not play a single snap on the 17th game of the season makes me wonder if there was a conversation that even may have been taking place earlier and a lot more advanced as far as finding out if there were teams that were going to be interested in trading for Johnson we know that DeAndre Hopkins had already had interactions with the Houston Texans I'm not saying that the trade was obviously done then but John as you and I have talked about we know that it was probably starting even earlier the the Steve Wilkes future head coach after around the Denver Broncos game. I think that they're looking at things a lot more open, a lot more early. And um, like we said, it comes down a lot of aspects, I think, also to just the way the Texans are run. It shows, in one one hand, how the Cardinals in a lot of different ways are – much more at least progressive as an organization than many others we've seen around the league. You take a look back at the Robert McNair, the previous owner of the Houston Texans. Um, During that 2017 season, there was a comment about inmates running the prison, and then the very next Sunday after that was the first time any Houston Texan ended up taking a knee for that. A lot of people believe that it was rather not even a national anthem protest, but rather a protest against the team's own owner for comparing them to prisoners, which if you're thinking about the history of the United States is not only a very, very insensitive topic overall, but I think it does tell you a little bit about um, the fact that if the Cardinals are a team that's able to look past a lot of this, able to have a guy who's more of a players coach in Cliff Kingsbury, not that he essentially lets players run and do what they want, but rather that he says, hey, we've got trust and respect that we'll treat for each and every one of you, offers that to them. And then when players are the ones who would get out of line or that, it's something as simple at least as saying, hey, you're not performing, get a quick hook for that one, ultimately allowing the people who are the cream of the crop to rise. And if there's people who are dissenters, as we've seen with Terrell Suggs and others, uh, the Cardinals will not hesitate to cut or release them. And it feels like that's much more of the way that it should be. It is still a difficult and tough business. But uh, again, with Bill O'Brien, he reportedly is even, he hasn't necessarily gone on record, but it's almost widely known that he didn't even want Deshaun Watson in that 2017 class. He was starting Tom Savage week one. They had multiple sacks that were taken. Watson comes Crazy, in, almost it? leads them, I believe, to that uh, start of that season where it was just incredible. So you're talking about a guy who wasn't even willing to play Deshaun Watson until he had no choice. Then he goes off and probably puts up a rookie of the year campaign, if not for a, I believe, torn ACL that ended up happening. Uh, I believe it was in, actually in practice. It was what I specifically recall. Maybe that was Teddy Bridgewater. But it is one of those cases, John, where the Cardinals at least also, I think, are a benefactor because not only is it a case where Hopkins wants to get paid 18 to $20 million a year, there's not a whole lot of teams who probably would be able to take that on who have the need for a number one wide receiver. You think of the Patriots, the Eagles come to mind. Both of those teams reportedly did some sniffing around. But it made me also realize that um, it's the fact that this is one of the best wide receiver drafts in years. So I can see there's a lot of teams that say, hey, are we willing to give up a pick and pay a guy versus, hey, we keep our second round pick. We draft a guy who's going to be good in a year or two, and we get to save uh, approximately some what you'd be looking at. Even if you took him in the first round, it'd be $8 million a year. You spend that in the second round, you're probably looking at about $4 million a year or so on that contract. I can see a lot of teams looking at that amount to pay and say no, but here's where I think the Cardinals get an advantage on. If Hopkins is only looking for 18 to $20 million a year, that is probably going to be looked at as an absolute steal if you give him $20 a year up to about three years or so into the CBA. It's the same thing we saw with Chandler Jones. Cardinals paid Chandler Jones, highest pass rusher 
Um, for the most part, I think besides Aaron Donald, who was on the market at the time, now you look at the cap hit that he has compared to um, guys like Jadavian Clowney asking for that $20 million a year. And you feel like he's on a bargain, you could always restructure and extend him later if you want. It's just a, it's a deal of where the sooner you get a deal done, uh, if the player continues to perform, it is better in the long run for you. Even look at DeAndre Hopkins. He gets paid. He's got no guaranteed money for the next three years in his contract of $40 million each. The Cardinals, I think, by paying him here, especially if they can get it done before the next CBA passes, get a maybe a fourth year added, add in two or three years of guaranteed money. Ultimately, it'll be looked at as a lot of people will say, gosh, that's all that you're paying DeAndre Hopkins here as he's about to enter the age 30 when we start to see the some wide receivers can take a step back, but he is still right now in his prime. As we've seen even with guys like Larry Fitzgerald, they do keep up with all of that. So uh, what are some of the last thoughts that you have, if anything, on this Hopkins signing? Because the fallout that I think we haven't talked about enough for the team is, at least in my opinion, the Cardinals last year were a run-heavy, two-tight-end team by the end of the year after they started the year essentially being a 10-personnel, four-wide-receiver type team. They didn't have the pass protection to be able to run that. You'd see all sorts of aspects where wide receivers weren't separating well enough. The opposing teams could simply rush four guys, drop seven in coverage. The Cardinals didn't have a deep threat who could take the top off the defense well enough. And they didn't have guys who were able to win one-on-one -on -one outside. So it turned into a lot of Kyler Murray running around for his life holding on to the ball because he's not a guy who's going to take risks. There aren't guys open. And ultimately, at the end of the year, they went full tilt. We're a running team, tight ends, a lot of mismatches, other play action. I think, John, what we'll see next year is a little closer to the Kansas City Chiefs where there's going to be a lot more 11 personnel. And I say that because I think that your three best receivers in Larry Fitzgerald, DeAndre Hopkins, and Christian Kirk, you're going to want those guys on the field all the time. You're not going to want to take, I think, one of those guys off and try to get a second tight end on. I think you're going to be putting more of those guys onto the field together, having one tight end that you can either use as a mismatch, a blocker to move out, or and then seeing maybe a bit more five wide with the Cardinals using their running back as a receiver. I could see some of the 12 personnel come on in, but in that case, it'd probably be Christian Kirk, you'd assume, coming off the field, unless... I don't know, unless they want to try to bring in Larry Fitz as kind of more of that blocker. We saw that with Bruce Arians. I think that's the biggest impact we'll see from the team outside of adding a 1,200-yard rusher. What else do you think the Cardinals can expect from having Hopkins here with the team? Well, I think one of the things that fans should be um, preparing for, you sent this to me and a, a couple of our buddies before the podcast tonight, is via to Tony Pauline of the Pro Football Network, Hakeem Butler's time with the Cardinals could be coming to an end. Uh, via the article on his website, Pro Football Network, last fall he was told Butler uh, he was not in good standings with the team and the Cardinals were, quote, relieved they had to place him on injured reserve rather than face the embarrassment of cutting him before the regular season. He heard further confirmation of this during the scouting combine three weeks ago. So woof, Hakeem Butler, who, listen, that's not one you can, in my opinion, put on time because we all loved Hakeem Butler and mm -hmm. wanted them to pick him with the first pick of the fourth round. That's just brutal to hear, but at the end of the day, you, you take a swing on day three. I'm never going to argue a day three pick, even if it was the first one. So that's one ripple effect. So you can expect him either to be dealt or to be a non-factor or to be waived at some point. Um, on top of that, Blake, just the Hopkins fallout. Listen, they're going to have to allocate big-time money to Hopkins I would get it going sooner rather than later. If you're in a position this offseason to defer some money this year and, and give him a boost, I would do that. Mm -hmm. um, but I, 
listen, he's on a three-year deal right now. I think they extend that and give him five years. I think that they want him around well past 30 years old. He's somebody who takes care of himself. I don't think he's going to age as gracefully as Fitzgerald because Fitzgerald has a slightly bigger frame. But I think Hopkins' ability to catch the football and break tackles, I think, is going to be um, super valuable You know, throughout the course of his 30s if he continues to play. Um, but you, you're talking about getting a guy at the prime of his career right now that should be a Pro Bowl candidate player at least throughout the duration of this three-year deal. And you know, at the end of the day, there is no team that's going to be more improved offensively in the passing game, I believe, than the Arizona Cardinals because of the lack of weapons that Kylo Murray had last year. You talk about a third year for Christian Kirk, second with Kingsbury, now Hopkins in the fold. Who knows? Maybe they get a vertical threat at tight end. You've got Drake, who I fully believe will be back now, especially when you consider all of these um, trans transactions happening with running backs being cut. Todd Gurley, the, uh, Devontae Freeman. Now it's being reported Melvin Gordon isn't liking what he's seeing in the open market. So if you think that Kenyon Drake is going to get something more than what he's getting in terms of annual value, eight point what five million per season, Kenyon Drake will be an Arizona Cardinal this year. It just goes to show you that you know at the end of the day, Kime knew what he was doing with that transition tag. Now it'll come to whether or not the team wants to lock him up maybe for two years and you can defer some of that guaranteed money to give you a little bit more wiggle room. But I, I think Hop, the Hopkins addition is the kind of addition that will that will get this team to the to the postseason. I, I do not believe a CeeDee Lamb would do that this year as, as, as good as I think he will be still. The Cardinals are going for a playoff spot in, in 2020. This is the kind of move that underscores that. It has rejuvenated the team. Patrick Peterson is 100% back on board with this team. He's changed all of his social media platform avatars back to the Cardinals, specifically on Twitter, telling you know telling people that we're all in. And you know I don't want the Cardinals to do anything brash that's going to compromise future off seasons because you've got many more with Kyler Murray still in the fold. But clearly, the, they anticipate being a, a, a playoff contender in the sense that they think they'll be above 500 and they should think that because that's how good DeAndre Hopkins is Blake. Yeah, he was, I believe pro football focus rated him as the most important non quarterback over the last, uh, I believe it was like a period of five years or so because of the contested catch, the radius he makes the ability to win one-on-one -on -one at the line of scrimmage. Um, there's a lot of pros that he's essentially the player that, you would hope that CeeDee Lamb could become. Uh, like you said, John, I do think that if there was a chance or if the Cardinals are getting to the playoffs next year, even if they took someone like a Lamb or another player, uh, hey, not, let's say even if they ended up t you know, trading back and getting someone else for that. If they're going to the playoffs or all of that, it may be very well that a boosted defense at a second year for Kyler Murray might be enough to get them there. This is a move that you're hoping can lift you a lot higher by being able to immediately fill a need similar to when the Cardinals uh, a few years ago signed Jared Valdir to play left tackle. Essentially by bringing in a blindside protector for Carson Palmer, once Bobby Massey had developed, you were able to see the Cardinals get enough stability where Palmer could step up in the pocket. Then it took the Cardinals from being what was a 10-16 and 16 that had to adjust. There, there were even plays, I remember, that were bootlegs to the right to run away from where Bradley Sowell was the pass protector. Sowell, who's now a tight end, just because they... We're looking at him as too small to play tackle, too short with the arm, still athletic, but ultimately was not really a fit. And now you're talking about hopefully a similar move for Arizona, one that's not made necessarily in for agency. 
but by giving up uh, ultimately in the end a second round pick and benefiting by getting David Johnson's contract off the books, uh, David had an awesome fun- final message for the Cardinals. Um, I-, I think his legacy here is obviously he's leading as the Cardinals' leading rusher of. Uh, I believe it's the leading rusher of all time. I'll have to check on that because there's not that many running backs who stay in Arizona and for a long period of time. Um, and he's leaving with essentially a sort of a strange little legacy because he came out as a rookie, set the rookie touchdown record. Um, Cardinals had probably their almost like you could say their highlight moment was that Philadelphia Eagles game where he scores the three touchdowns, has 150 yards, goes in and has an incredible 2016 season, nearly hits 1,000 yards rushing and receiving. Comes out the next year, is looking at about 2.7 yards per carry in the first part of the Lions game, and then gets his wrist hurt on that clutch catch. Holds out for a few days in training camp. Cardinals choose to pay him after that. as a decent but unstellar 2018 year, and then in 2019, it's like fans couldn't, almost be wait to be rid of him and it's a difficult and tough situation because that shows just how fickle the nature of the NFL is both for a player for the body and also for a fan relationship what do you think is going to be David's legacy in Arizona is this a guy who you know maybe he'll never return to the team because it's it's hard to see running backs make those type of reunions uh, I, don't, I don't know if he's going to shift to a full-time wide receiver he's never said that he's wanted that in the past like what do you think is going to be kind of this where we've seen with David Johnson, where's it all going to ultimately end, John? Is, is he going to be remembered as one of these kind of cardinal greats that were there, or is it just too little of time that we had with him and just a small, quick flame that burned out just as quickly? Yeah, unfortunately, it's, I don't think he'll be a ring of honor candidate or anything like that. And I, you know, I think that that says more about, you know, where the Cardinals have come from over the course of the last 10, 15 years with Michael Bidwell running the team. Um, but I do think that he'll be remember, remembered really fondly. Um, and that's crazy to say, given the fact that he only had 1,000 yard rushing season. But he was, he kind of, he and Le'Veon Bell were the bell cows for modern day NFL running backs when you talk about being able to run and catch the football effectively and, and taking that receiving element to the next level, scoring touchdowns in high volumes. I mean, I remember when they drafted him. And having to double check on the player because I didn't remember watching him at the combine. Mm -hmm. And then majority of his highlights were receiving highlights. And the fact that they were sold on this University of Iowa tape where he went for 100 and he caught, I think, over 200 um, and was fueled by the fact that, you know, he went to Northern Iowa, University of Iowa, Kirk Ferentz didn't recruit him. And so I said, okay, he's a big physical back. And, you know, the ignorance in me just thought, well, maybe he'll be like a short yardage back and he can catch the football on third down. And then he came to Arizona and he Mm -hmm. looked phenomenal in his first preseason game. And just slowly over the course of 2015, especially after the injury to Chris Johnson, um, you had seen what David could do early on returning kickoffs. um, He had a game winning touchdown week one against New Orleans. And then they really turned him loose and he fueled that playoff run. Um, up until the NFC Championship game. I mean, he was really outstanding against the Packers, um, I thought, and had a, a couple clutch catches. Um, and then, yeah, the, the 2016 season is one of the – it's the greatest season by a running back in franchise history, all-purpose, stud. Uh, that record, it will be hard to, to be broken, um, given the fact that you know running backs today, um, unless they're taken high – they don't have the same kind of value value. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially with Kingsbury in the fold 
you know, we get excited when Kenyon Drake has, you know, 20 carries. David Johnson with Bruce Arians was getting like 40 touches. He was scoring five touchdowns. He scored five touchdowns, I think, in a game against Seattle that won a lot of people their fantasy championships. He was just unbelievable. Um, and unfortunately, you know, that opener against the Lions in 2017, he breaks his forearm, has an upper body injury, comes back, is out for the year with an upper body injury, comes back in 2018, unfortunately, has a new coaching staff in Steve Wilkes. They don't know how to utilize him. Last year, you thought it'd be all put together with Kingsbury. And then for whatever reason, it just didn't click. L- listen, the, the explosiveness just was not there. But again, we talked about it on our last podcast. He looked good early on in the season and, and helped them score points. That's why I do think he's got a second life in him with Houston. And I would love to see him achieve mm-hmm. some level of success, even if it pale, pales in comparison to 2016. But from a holistic approach, from a historic approach for this franchise, you know, I think at the end of the day, he's going to be remembered as a as a great draft pick as a great human being, as a franchise record holder, and as somebody that should always be you know, welcomed back with open arms in the community, he and his wife and now two children, um, the Cardinals and the contract that they gave David really changed his life. And so there's, there's not a, a person that deserves it more. Um, great locker room guy, and I hope he sticks around the league long, a long time. Um, but I, I don't think you know, he was here long enough, quite long enough, to be, you know, a ring of honor candidate. Yeah, credit the Cardinals for getting uh, out of the contract. That's what I think a lot of people are going to remember about David Johnson is going to be the deal that was signed. And credit to him, he signed it at the right time. The Cardinals wanted to keep him. I don't think that the deal at all is the issue. What we're seeing instead, John, is we're seeing a lot of just the devaluation of the running back position. We're seeing how there's all of these running backs who are the cream of the crop, the top of their position, and I think what's changed overall is that the NFL, as a league, has evolved. As, as we've seen from these passing quarterbacks, these passing wide receivers, you'd still always try to find that one bell cow back who would always be the best athlete. It's like usually it's how it is in high school. A lot of times the best athlete on the team, the guy who can break the most tackles, be able to catch, being able to run over other guys, that's usually always given to the running back. Uh, or excuse me, she always given the running back is given, I should say, to the best athlete on the team. And what we've seen in the NFL, I think, is a progression into now that one of the best athletes on the team is actually the quarterback. You take a look at the Cardinals with Kyler Murray. You see a Pat Mahomes. You take a look at Russell Wilson in Seattle. What I think has changed is that teams are now utilizing the quarterback and a lot of these read options, a lot of these different schemes to essentially put all of their um, running games into if, hey, if you're a back who's got at least enough vision, enough cuts you can make, you're able to produce. And we've even seen that today with some of the news I'd love to be able to get into um, for a tad bit um, with how the NFL has changed so much where now it's featuring a lot of times these mobile and athletic quarterbacks. It's almost creating a run game. You and I have talked about how the Cardinals believe that, you know, they weren't desperate to keep Kenyon Drake. They're probably not even desperate to sign him to a huge, massive long-term contract because they believe, hey, with Kyler in the backfield, like almost any running back who's good enough, maybe doesn't have to be an elite one could put you over the edge. But if they're good enough, you'll be able to at least have a sustainable, successful run game. And we've seen around the NFL as backs have been devalued. Todd Gurley was cut today by um, 
by the uh, I should say the uh, Los Angeles Rams. Derrick Henry was franchise tagged. You look at other running backs around the league, at least, who have gotten big deals. Teams are trying to get out of them. Melvin Gordon's holdout has not paid out well for him. The Jets, uh, Le'Veon Bell, in my opinion, is probably the best pure running back in the NFL. Like Bill Belichick raved about how great of a player he was, and the Jets regret the contract that they handed out to him after he sat out for a year. John, the running back position overall has just taken a huge fallback. And, you know, I got to say, we can't really get any further in this podcast without talking about that Todd Gurley release today. He was signed a year earlier even than David Johnson was to a massive extension overall. He was kind of the focal point, you know, called a generational back. He won people fantasy championships on the week. He even scored 14 touchdowns last year, kind of used in that short, short yardage back role that they used on the goal line. And here he is just Cut, let go, not even any trade partner for him. The Rams take on a sizable cap hit for him. Avoid, I believe, an extra $10 million or so. But, John, what, what does this look like in the division as the Rams are losing defensive guys left and right? They've got Jared Goff on a huge contract, but a lot of it which, which uh, was guaranteed today with some, I think it's like almost, what is it, like 70 to $90 million in dead money if there's any type of cut. And now Todd Gurley is gone from the Los Angeles Rams. How do you think that the running back position and what else do you see that's happened with free agency with the Cardinals in the NFC West? What's kind of the impact that you're seeing with all of this ideas of running backs kind of tied together and how guys are just not getting what they used to be able to get and the NFL has almost moved on where maybe there's never going to be a huge contract that we see for a running back like that for a long time. Yeah, just these guys, their career tends to. We always used to say, don't pay running backs over 30. Remember when that was a thing for the longest time? Now it's don't give running backs their second contract. Run them into the ground on their rookie deals and then move off of them. And unfortunately, that's the reality of it. And you know what? It's why a lot of young athletes at the high school level want to play quarterback. Because they see the writing on the wall. Whereas if you have big time collegiate aspirations, and then not everybody, but the best athletes right now, for the most part, are playing wide receiver, are playing quarterback, and you could argue are playing defensive back. They're not playing running back anymore. And so not only running backs do you have to be adaptable and you're not looking at big money, you have to be expected to catch the football now. Now, if you do not catch the football, what goal or what space on my roster can you serve? Can you play special teams? Well, no, I'm just a North and South runner. Well, those, those kind of spots are few and far between in the league. I can only think of maybe a handful of players like, a uh, the kid out of Jacksonville. Um, what's his name? Uh, Leonard Fournette. Fournette. He's like the, yeah, pick. He, he's the last one where he was an early round pick. And it was like, yeah, he he doesn't catch the football all the way, all that well, but he's just a north and south grinder. That those days are over. We we've known that for a little while, and now it's it's basically listen. The Minnesota Vikings are talking about paying Dalvin Cook, and we love Dalvin Cook, but are you, have you not been seeing what's happening with these other players? And and Dalvin Cook's somebody who who has injury concerns. It's just at the end of the day, the franchises that get it are winning. That being the Patriots. Right. They, you know, they took Sony Michelle. He's been a big disappointment. But historically, they're going with, you know, late round picks, journeyman at running back. The San Francisco 49ers, mm-hmm. they don't have a franchise rusher. They've got a bunch of undrafted guys 
They tried to pay Jarek McKinnon. He was a huge flame out for them. Yeah, he and got now hurt right away. And they're right. still having to kind of restructure his deal just to keep it because they can't cut him with how big that right. cap too embar- is. Too embarrassing to just cut him. The the you know, the Kansas City Chiefs. Think about the Kansas City Chiefs. They draft Kareem Hunt. They make him an all pro out of the third round. He gets in trouble, rightfully so. They cut him. They've gone running back by committee with Damian Williams, Darwin Thompson, Darrell Williams, and they win the Super Bowl. And they don't miss a beat. They didn't have a running game until it mattered, and then they could move the chains in the postseason because they've got a special player at quarterback. Who are the teams that are limited at quarterback and have to rely on a running game? Well, we saw one of them in the Tennessee Titans, and that's why nobody really took them seriously. I just mentioned Leonard Fournette. When the Jacksonville Jaguars made it to the AFC Championship game, it was Leonard Fournette carrying that team with their defense, and Blake Borles was, you know, kind of an afterthought. Not only is it, you know, it, it's scary now to pay running backs, but is it even worth it to take one in the first round? And hear me out: you've got a running back on if you take them in the first round on a five-year deal, right? That's a if you're not familiar, rookie contracts in the first round are five years. Every other round is four years. You've got that fifth-year option in the first round. So let's say the Oakland Raiders take a running back in the first round, and they did, Josh Jacobs, and Jacobs was tremendous last year. You're telling me if Jacobs runs for 1,000 yards each of these next four seasons but starts to slow down at the end of his fifth season, right, and they pick up his fifth-year option, and they have to move off of him or they don't want to pay him, you're telling me that's worth a first-round pick? If you can't get to a second contract, and Josh Jacobs is good. What about Saquon Barkley, right? He's a stud. Now, he missed some time last year, and they took him top five, top three. Are they going to re-sign him? It just goes to show you, as much as I I love the position, it was my favorite growing up. It's still one of my favorites to watch now, right? But the NFL has changed. Good teams do not spend premium draft picks and premium dollars on the position because either it flames out based on injury or it's just not cost effective. And we've seen it now and it's unfortunate. But I, I think the Todd Gurley, David Johnson, Devontae Freeman, Melvin Gordon, these are household running back names. They were all available. Mm-hmm. And nobody and outside of Bill O'Brien, nobody wants any of them. It's yeah. crazy, Blake. It's it's unlike anything we've seen before. It's the new NFL. Yeah, and maybe things will pivot back, but it does remind me a lot of how just when you're talking about what the NFL is moving to, it's moving towards almost a case of arena football for those who are unfortunately not able to watch it now because uh, the league in and of itself has legitimately folded and has gone bankrupt. But if you watch some old highlight videos, they didn't even have a running back position. They essentially had a fullback whose role was in there specifically to be a pass protector for the quarterback to throw the ball. And I don't think that we're going to reach that place in the NFL because there's still way too much of um, there's still way too much of a fact of using the clock and being able to utilize yardage on the ground. We're just seeing it a lot more of that production coming from a combination of quarterbacks who are able to run beyond the move, um, who are able to at least amass the ability to extend plays and be deadly accurate down the field. Um, that's always been a portion of the game, but it used to be you'd get the best athlete, you know, and run them up the middle. 
what I think is there, and this is kind of at least my opinion, I don't think that the running back position has totally gone on vogue where it's like, oh, yeah, it's like a punter or, a kick, or like a kicker. Now just get one, you know, in free agency. Don't have to worry about it. I think the issue is the premium draft capital when you're talking about sending a top 10 pick on a Todd Gurley. Now, sometimes there are players who it becomes a bit controversial, like you talk about a pick that was used on a guy like, say, a Christian McCaffrey, who goes off and gets, you know, 2,000 yards, it seems like, every year, is just such a quick, twitchy, talented player. Your question is, all right, well, what what kind of a deal is is he going to be worth? Do you sign him to that second deal, or is it going to be the amount of hits or touches that wear him down? And I think we see in the league the age of a running back isn't really that important anymore. It's rather the hits that they're taking and the amount of time that they go through because the defensive linemen and the linebackers are bigger and faster than we've ever seen. You you talk about even this year. You get an Isaiah Simmons who's 6'3", 230 pounds, who can run at a 4'3 speed. You talk about that crashing into you as a running back. You're just like, okay, that's those are going to be hits that are going to be very difficult to take. So it's the sustainability and how long a back can last. Now, some guys, I think, are exceptions. You talk about Adrian Peterson, who had 1,000 yards, um, I believe, not last year, but the year before in 2018. Uh, he's like 33 years old. I think that there's some guys who do end up proving to be elite of the elites. Uh, you can talk about how re- wide receivers over age 30 start to fade, and Fitzgerald is essentially putting up better production than some of these young guns at 23 at 37 years of age. So I think that you can find some of those guys, John, but... They're also the rare of the rare, like the Hall of Fame type guys and the guys who, when you're talking about extending them, it's like, oh yeah, like this guy is like essentially like one of the best players. The problem is even those guys, the Lev Bells, the David Johnsons, they haven't been bust proof. So I think it's just, it's a devaluation of the position and how I think it will change ultimately in the NFL is I think it's going to lead toward a pass rush and coverage type of league we're going to start to be talking about, hey, if you're a linebacker, sure, you want to be able to tackle, you want to stop the run because that's something that's important. You don't want to see, uh, this is something I noticed while re-watching the uh, coaches film. Um, for those who aren't aware, maybe haven't gotten the chance, the NFL until May 31st has offered NFL Game Pass for free. All you have to do is sign up online. You can watch any of the past games, which include full games, content, condensed games that's in their database. Uh, that includes uh, this past season against the Seattle Seahawks. And from watching the tape, I can say this. If Chris Carson had stayed healthy, I think the Seahawks may have won that game against the Cardinals. He was being able to shift around and make plays, be able to make guys miss. It was a similar impact that we saw from when the Cardinals moved from a da- uh, from a David Johnson to a Kenyon Drake. There's a play where Drake is running right up the middle. There's a guy, I believe it's a guy like Bobby Wagner, is waiting right in the A-gap for him. He just makes a quick jump cut to his left, picks up six yards, and gets out of the end zone to avoid a safety. And it's like David Johnson, he would not be making that cut or that run. He would probably just be looking for contact, driving ahead, picking up a yard, and the Cardinals are still in danger. So I do think there is some value to the running back position. I think that your magic spot is probably looking in between rounds two and four for the guys who you think are going to be a starter and hopefully hitting on guys that are five to the undrafted, knowing that, hey, if our starter goes down, this guy can still go off for about 150 yards if we need to. It depends on the effectiveness, again, of your running game, um, the play caller. I think that there's so much that goes into it. It's like the running back is the recipient. So uh, if, for example, this year, if the Cardinals still had a second-round pick, they were, you know, let's say that, that DeAndre Hopkins is acquired for a third or something, I'd be open to the Cardinals taking a guy in the second round, but... You would have to be talking about a stud like a Derrick Henry or even for a few years like an Eddie Lacy with that type of uh, production. 
And I just don't see at least the value for a lot of that, John, in this Cliff Kingsbury system. So maybe we'll see it in the future. The Cardinals make a change. But for right now, obviously, Kenyon Drake is the lead back. And uh, I think that we can probably expect the Cardinals to draft another back, but I don't think you can expect it to be a very high draft pick. I'm certainly not expecting it with their third. Maybe you take a look at one of those extra force they have. But, uh, as we wrap up kind of this running back conversation, are there any other thoughts about the backs around the league or how it pertains to the Cardinals and their plans? No, I think I think it's just going to be a year-by-year basis. Um, I would give Kenyon Drake a two-year deal. I would feel comfortable doing that if you want to, defer uh some guaranteed money to next year he's due 8.5 million if you want to give him 12 give him 6 million per year for two years i'd be totally fine with that have it fully guaranteed um and and go from there uh wouldn't mean that you still couldn't draft it back this year but it would allow you some flexibility listen they have so many needs still left to fill and they need critical depth um you know if, if it's between now and the draft and they don't sign another free agent running back which i don't expect they do um, they're probably going to have to draft one on day three, um, and they only have right now six picks. They've got first, a third, two fours, a sixth, and a seventh. Um, so I don't think that they're going to allow Kenyon Drake to walk, but I don't think he's going to get a contract uh, from another team that comes close to what the Cardinals mm-hmm. are paying him. So um, if if I'm Kenyon Drake, I want to play on this tag. Um, maybe I don't want to do a two-year deal, and I want to run for as many yards and put up as many stats as I can and then next year have a, an ignorant team come out who doesn't have Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury and give me a boatload of money. But, um, cause you can see here, like hey, Devontae, hey, no one, no one's doing it this year. That may be well, kind of a risk. And that's the well, one thing here, you gotta read the room, right? <laughs> Devontae Freeman wasn't good last year. He was hurt. Melvin Gordon was, was out, was holding out. Um, and then you talk about, um, Kenyon Drake only played half a season with the Cardinals. Gurley got cut for financial reasons. Plus he's hurt. So it's a little different. Now, I will say that, you know, Derrick Henry hasn't been re-signed yet. He got tagged. Will they even opt to pay him? I don't know. But yeah, I think it's a good case study on running backs moving forward. Um, and I do think it, it might also scare teams from taking, let, let's say, a, a, a Taylor or a Swift at the end of round one and just say, you know what, we got to fill other needs. We can get it back later on. Agreed. And then uh, just for a bit of perspective there, you take a look at first round draft pick, Sony Michelle taken at the end of the first round by the Patriots. Brutal. Uh, for a year, only $9 million contract, though. So that's the thing. You know, you have your signing bonus the first year of $5 million, and then every year after that, it's essentially only about a $1 million or so per year, and then you add in that fifth year option. What it sounds like with the new CBA is that's going to change, but when you're looking at that, I, I think, John, that's where I kind of hesitate, where it's like, Sony Michelle with a first round pick is worth almost what the Cardinals are giving to Kenyon Drake on a transition tag. Um, if that's going to be the case, I feel it kind of like you where you could probably get that cap number down if you feel like it's long-term plans, but running backs are always going to be pushing for that multi-year deal because it means that one, they'll get a signing bonus right up front. And two, it means that they'll have some guaranteed money for next year, which as we see with David Johnson, he's not just cutting on the free agent market. There's a dead money cap to eat. He's still going to get paid. Todd Gurley is still going to get paid. Gurley's just not getting paid as much as he would have. Um, I think that's kind of the one question we'll have is how much is it worth as far as a veteran back versus, hey, we'll just 
take day three back this year, and we've got our guy that we know at least is a starter. He's done good. He's hit you know 200 yards, had a four-touchdown game for us. I'm fine with going a little bit higher in that regard and letting him play out the tag. And, and like you said, John, a lot of teams I think are just going to use and then dump a guy. Um, we'll see if Kenyon Drake will be content with that. He still has not signed the transition tag that we know of. Uh, but it's just a little bit of perspective in there is just how cheap a lot of those draft picks are. And as we've seen with guys like Josh Jacobs, even with David Johnson, they can produce quickly. Uh, let's grab a little bit of time before we jump right into the free agent signings. Um, the coronavirus really did hit the NFL as of today. Sean Payton tested positive. He was at an event previously. He was sharing. Didn't feel any sickness or symptoms. Kind of fought through. Um, I have a little bit of concern, John, that there's a lot of teams that still have their facilities open and still have people who are in there working it's not everyone the cardinals at least seem to be taking a few extra steps at least with their facility having people who are not coming in uh, there was a cardinals psa that they had with larry fitzgerald and michael bidwell who were sitting about six seats apart from each other to practice social distancing which was funny to see so why are they sitting so f oh that 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 that's exactly why. Um, but when someone asked, at least, is the facility open, then uh, I believe it was Darren Urban or their PR person said, oh, is this is a special circumstance, at least, where they wanted to specifically open the facilities just to make use of the room to film that quick PSA. Not sure what the Cardinals are going on, but if you've got one guy who's a coach who was at the Combine, was meeting with prospects, um, was been at other meetings with their team, it wouldn't shock me, John, if we do end up seeing something similar where, like the NBA, having guys uh, testing positive for the virus day and day it wouldn't shock me if it happens a bit more in the nfl uh, it is also more of a tough guys type of league a lot of times guys will be already in pain from a life in the nfl that they deal and live with and it's kind of just a gutted out type thing it wouldn't shock me if that's the case so uh, are you concerned that there may be kind of a little bit of a slowing in a lot of cases as the nfl starts to potentially be a bit more like the nba um, despite a little bit of a reprieve from a sportsless world I hope not, uh, because right now the NBA and Major League Baseball, I think their seasons are in doubt. I, I really do. I don't. I, if this goes in toward the summer, we're talking about NBA playoffs taking place. What in the fall? They're going to compete with the NFL. Um, Major League Baseball, I think, has just mishandled their season and M the NBA entirely. I think both of them should should shorten their seasons significantly. Um, and I think this year they've got a really nice chance to try some unique ways to do that, especially Major League Baseball, considering they're going to lose part of the season. But, you know, I heard today that the NFL potentially could be affected by this. I hope not. OTAs are really valuable for new players and rookies. Um, so the guys that the Cardinals are bringing in now and then that they sign uh, in April um, I guess not so much for the rookies I'm in reference to their rookie minicamp, I should say, and then OTAs for the veterans. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we didn't have uh, either uh, I, I, until, what, July? July of 2011, we had a lockout. We didn't have OTAs then, and, you know, the season went on just fine. So as long as games aren't affected, you know, I'm not worried about it. You talk about, you know, if they shorten the preseason, I'm sure more more players would be all for it. Um, so we've got a long way to go before that becomes a reality. But I think people who think that this could be just a flash in the pan, I mean, it does mm -hmm. seem like we're going to lose um, uh, some significant sporting events from now until, gosh, the, the mid-spring, mid early summer. Um, again, as long as it doesn't affect our Cardinals, you know, I'm selfishly not concerned. Um, you know, I'm not diehard baseball or basketball uh, like I am the NFL. 
Um, but at the same time, we need to be cognizant of what it, what's doing right now to free agency. I mean, if this was a regular free agency period, DeAndre Hopkins would have already had an introductory press conference at the facility. That would have been done over with, and you'd see these other players come in and do interviews, and we'd have a lot more press, media, content. Right now, you know, not to toot our own horn, but Blake and I are really the only podcast available that's doing consistent, um, you know, podcast based on free agency the 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 official website the cardinals they can't comment on it rightfully so that these aren't official yet they haven't been able to talk about the hopkins deal at all and so yeah they uh, they hinted at it i think a little bit during today's red sea report but mostly the focus was on Kenyon drake because again right if it's not official they can say well according to this report you have this and then talk a bit about deep dive yeah yeah so it just that 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 is usually you know that's usually top of mind i mean so that's that's unfortunate um, but hopefully again, it's, it's, um, it's minimized. We can start, you know, I'm hearing, I read something today that, you know, and maybe in May, if things do slow down, we could do NBA games with no fans. That's a step in the right direction. Um, but I do think, man, when free agency's over and thank God the NFL did free agency for a distraction piece and for content for Blake and I selfishly, um, once free agency's over and the buildup to the draft, I think is going to be as excruciating as it ever has been Mm -hmm. partially because Blake and I were set to be at the draft in April. Um, and now it's not going to be the case at all. They've, they've shut Vegas down for 30 days. And then also because we're going to have a solid, it seems like 30 days without really any tangible sports news. Um, and this was about as good as it gets right now, all things considered. So, you know, these are first world problems. I get that. And, and prayers out to the people that are being affected by this and everybody be smart about what you do. But from this is a sports podcast for an escape if you're listening to it. So we don't want to drudge on too long, but it, it does have a lasting effect right now, Blake. Yeah. And I think for me, I'll, I'll kind of take a little bit of a counter at least for that. Cause uh, for me, I mean, like even tonight, they just announced that California with the 40 million residents essentially are on lockdown uh, until like further notice. And because of the fact that this is going to be interesting to see how, the sports world turns out like my thoughts and concern goes out to, you know, the people like um, you talk about um, when Bruce is still working with, you know, a Tom Pratt, who's like a 70 year old pass rusher or a Tom Moore. Some of these older people are in the NFL, <laughs> even like a Gil Brand who is hanging around that. Obviously, the concern, I think, goes out to the person first and the sport second in some ways. And I think like John, uh, just to kind of clarify part of what we're saying, at least also with our podcast is we're going to be trying to during this time without as much going on while it's on lockdown, having. Um, we can't guarantee a number, but at least more podcasts than we're currently doing. So at least multi-week, more than once a week for a lot of those. We're trying to at least keep up with that and have a little bit more of real-time reaction in part because there isn't very much that is going on with the NFL being such a focus. Uh, it is definitely an understanding of how there's um, going to be a lot to talk about until there isn't very much to talk about. So I, I hope that the league essentially, and maybe it'll be weird, we won't hear anything about team visits, but maybe someone will start spilling like as far as agents saying, hey, like the, the Cardinals ended up having a Zoom meeting with, you know, Antone, Antoine Brooks Jr. or something like that, that will start to leak out where that would be <laughs> a fascinating thing to see how it changes. What someone even said was it may be that the NFL – um, and I, I thought about this. They said the league rates too highly the in-person player visits where you get a guy on his best behavior. He comes in. You're like, oh, gosh, like this guy, like we understand him. People don't get or understand who he is for a lot of that stuff. But he's going to be a great fit in our building. Like he did a great job here. Rather than trusting a lot of times the tape and the production, they'll just kind of fall in love with a person. And that's where 
I think even Steve kind of said we miss on the player versus or miss on the person versus the player. And the answer is because, yeah, you're, you're ranking, you're making your decision based on the person. You should be grading it on the player. Obviously, every player is a person, but uh, the impact I think that the Senior Bowl president said was he thought that teams would actually make better decisions this year because instead of trying to meet and grill a guy for a couple hours around their best behavior, like, okay, check it off for that one. Instead, they'll just stay and go down the boards versus being picked up or having it checked off, which would be uh, nice if the Cardinals could have had this happen, or I shouldn't say, no, let's take that back. Not that this whole scenario, since we don't ever want this to happen, but if the Cardinals were in a position to avoid a character concern who didn't have production and a lot of problems with their film, it would have been a guy like a Robert Kimdichie. What they're expecting is that there's not going to be many Robert Kimdichies this year, because teams are not going to have that opportunity to kind of get, you know, like the who said they won't get fooled again is what it says. And ultimately reminded me too of how the Cardinals said that they were really ultimately convinced that Josh Rosen was the quarterback that they were wanted and were going to take after he went and visited them at their facility, went and got to know him, talked to him. And Josh is a tremendous human being in person. Um, he's got a funny wry wit around him too. He just has not turned out to be the quarterback that I think a lot of people Uh, coming out of college expected coming into the league and the Cardinals from what we know have never were able to secure that same type of meeting with Lamar Jackson partially due to Jackson being very limited in to what teams he would give access to and the fact the Cardinals had a Mike McCoy who likely would not have been all about Lamar Jackson at all even the Cardinals current scouting department at that time um, seemed to have potentially learned from their mistake the year before is what you'd hope Um, but when they didn't have that meeting with him, they did have a meeting with Josh. That seemed like that determined it. So it'll be interesting to see how the process goes. But for me right now, part of me just hopes that the league is able to put stuff in lockdown, look after the the people who are the scouts, the people who are still in the building, who are working. Um, also because you're going to have players who are, some of them are, you know, not able to come in for workouts. Some of them are having stuff. Um, I think it was, uh, who was the one player? I think it was Darius Geis at least said, oh, we're a quarantine hunt. He was like on a boat with like, I think like these six other girls for that one where was like making a bit of a joke about all of those. But there are, I think, a lot of people who ultimately have been affected by it. And we'll see what the beginning of it happens because, you know, as we said, John, there's no way that the draft happens this year because of the coronavirus due to the fact the entire point of the draft is for a player coming from a part of the country walking across the stage to shake Roger Goodell's hand. And uh, so with no elbow bumps this year, I'll be fascinated to see how that turns out. Um, let's go ahead and shift a little bit of talk to the biggest news in the NFL. Then we'll get into some of these signings, which I know everyone's probably wanting to jump into. Let's talk quick about Tom Brady leaving the New England Patriots, going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We don't have to spend long on this, John, because this is what's going to be talked to death, not just this week that it already has been. It'll be talked to death next week. And once there is a lack of NFL for agency news and there's no other sports, it will probably be what anyone talks about for the next four to five weeks if not, you know, four to five months. Talk a little bit about what is this impact, at least for the NFL as a whole, for the Patriots, for Bruce Arians and the Bucks. No risk it, no biscuit finally gets to work with, you know, the ultimate greatest quarterback after already having worked with Manning, Roethlisberger, Luck, Palmer. He has just lived a very blessed uh, coaching life so far. And talk about the impact on the Arizona Cardinals now having Tom Brady at 43 in the NFC. Yeah, I, I think when we talked last about, a potential destination. Um, I thought that um, Tennessee would make the most sense. And lo and behold, they didn't have as much interest as probably Tom would have liked. Um, and it really came down to a two-team race, the LA Chargers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I think from a, a playing perspective, 
uh, a roster perspective, I should say, I think he viewed both teams equally. Uh, but Tampa had the coaching edge and they also had the geographical edge being on the East Coast close by to Boston, his family, his kids. And that played a huge factor. And so now he gets to go play for Bruce Arians, who has coached Big Ben Roethlisberger, Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck. I mean, Carson Palmer, you talk about a slew of very good to Hall of Fame quarterbacks. And now he gets to coach the greatest of all time for what looks like at least two seasons. And listen, I know Tampa Bay, they're, they're in the same vein as the Cardinals, although the Cardinals have never won a, a, a Super Bowl. Tampa has not been relevant for some time since they won that Super Bowl. They haven't been in the playoffs. I think it's been like at least 10 years, uh, if not longer, uh, certainly since I think Gruden was the coach. Um, and so now you look at that team for, on paper, you put the brand aside. That's as talented of a roster I think that we have now in the NFC, and really it was Jameis and his turnovers that were holding this team back. Yes, Tom is immobile, but at the same time, he doesn't turn the ball over, and I still think he has the ability to throw. Listen, he was, I think, the MVP of the league two years ago. He won back-to-back Super Bowls. So when we talk about you know his ability to you know stretch the field, that's always going to be in, in question. With Bruce Arians, that's what he wants, seven-step drops. I did see a note where Arians said they'd meet in the middle when it comes to the playbook, but listen, this would be the best group of receivers really he's ever played with outside of that one record setting year in 2007 when he had Moss and Welker. Um, now he gets Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, both pro bowl level receivers. Um, we, we're a big fan of OJ Howard at, at tight end Cameron Brait, although I don't know how high, uh, Arians is on OJ Howard and plus Arians doesn't throw to the tight end all that much, but I'm well, sure Tom Brady, Brady does. And that'll be yeah, really Brady interesting. It'll be interesting. Yep. It makes me wonder if, and this is something I'd be very curious about is, uh, I would almost be tempted to float a pick out, maybe not for OJ Howard, because I think that Brady is going to try to take advantage of that size. But, sure. uh, if you could float a pick out and see if the if the Buccaneers wanted to move on from Cameron Brait for what would be cheaper to draft a guy like an Albert, uh, oh, not even to say the last name, Alberto in the draft, who is that type of an athlete. Um, if you'd want to try to flow to pick out and bring that guy in, I think he's got a higher contract overall. But um, what I think at least makes the most sense right now, John, is um, even though we've seen Kyler throw two tight ends in college, a lot of those times it's over the seam routes. Um, what we saw last year with Charles Clay. Given that there's not a great class, I know we've talked a little bit in the past about looking at Eric Ebron. The fact that we heard today Gambador reporting the Cardinals are going to be trying to re-sign Charles Clay tells me they're still not going to be um, throwing the ball to the tight end a lot. It's just too expensive of a price to bring in Ebron with the injuries that he's had in the past, the lack of production at times, where sometimes they'll have almost a roller coaster of peaks and valleys. Uh, it makes a little bit more sense to kind of get that guy who fits a role that you know grow with him in year two than to try to go out and spend some big bucks when you don't have a whole lot left and still have a lot of holes ultimately to fill. Um, I think that it's going to be very interesting. I think that Bruce is almost the anti-Belichick in some ways. Like, I can't imagine Bill Belichick joking with friends and cussing while drinking, you know, Crown Royal out of, uh, you know, the back trunk of someone's car in a parking lot after a game. That is like the anti-Belichick approach. Uh, Tom has probably been wanting to get away from this for a while. I think the question people have is, what is his arm going to look like? How will it look like with the offensive line, given the issues they had? I'm, I have less concerns about the Arians' offense fit for him. If you want to take a look, take a look at the 2016-2017 offense with Carson Palmer. Bruce took his average yards per attempt way, way down, had a lot more of those passes to the running backs, even involved the tight end if you want to take a look at 
the Jacksonville game with Blaine Gabberts, um, especially in the last part of the year. He adjusted his offense to fit his quarterback, and he did it well. It's still not his tendency, but I'm curious. Do you think that the Bucks, at least, does this make them kind of a Super Bowl threat? Are they going to need more? What exactly should the expectations be? Because the Cardinals are now looking at an NFC that is loaded and in some cases, some people wonder if the Bucks end up being a slight disappointment and the Cardinals can exceed, that may end up being a help, but it's still going to be a Tom Brady with an offense, with, as we've seen with Bruce Arians, that put up the number one passer in the league last year, who was also, unfortunately, uh, number one in interceptions in Jameis Winston. Do you think that this is going to be one of those cases where it is a Super Bowl type of move, where that they're now the team yes. to watch in the NFC? Yep, I do. I think that they've got a, a, a coach who I think could win a Super Bowl. Arians, we, I mean, goodness, he elevated so many teams and so many quarterbacks during his time with the Cardinals. He went 5-3 and three with Drew Stanton in 2014 in the ultra-tough NFC West. He, he won 10 games his first year with the Cardinals when the two teams above him in the division were in the NFC Championship game and the Seattle Seahawks won the uh, Super Bowl that year. The Cardinals, by the way, beat Seattle in Seattle. No surprise to anybody. But Bruce Arians is a winner. He will be um, in contention. I believe they'll make the playoffs. I could see them overtaking New Orleans. I think New Orleans is vulnerable. I think Breeze is older. They're they're losing some players in free agency. I don't love their roster as much as, much as some others do. Um, and I, I just think, listen, we talk about the offense. It's going to score points. That defense with with Todd Bowles was humming at the end of last year, if you didn't pay attention. They've got two bookend pass rushers in JPP and Shaq Barrett. That's as good as in the league outside of maybe Denver and then and maybe, you know, San Francisco. And then, you know, they're stout at linebacker. They've got Levante David. They've got um, Kevin or uh, the who was the fifth pick last year? Oh, Devin, uh, Devin, Devin White. White. That's yep, the one. Devin White. Devin White. Devin White. So they're yeah, stacked yeah, in the front seven. <laughs> now their their secondary is a disaster, and I think they'll fix that. Their offensive line interior needs to be upgraded, but they've got a draft to do that. I think I think they've got eleven and five written all over them. I think uh, they'll either be one of the now three wild card teams, or they will win the division hands down. They're just too talented. They're too talented. That division, in my opinion, is too vulnerable. I watched New Orleans beat the hell out of the Rams, or excuse me, Tampa Bay beat the hell out of the Rams last year mm-hmm. with Bruce Arians midseason. Yeah. Um, they are for real. I think that they'll get another back in the draft. I think that the Ronald they Jones. Were, they were killing done. teams with Ryan Fitzpatrick before yep. he started turning the ball over like crazy back in 2018, if you remember correctly. They, 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 this roster has been on the rise for some time. Now they haven't hit on every player, but but goodness, their their weaponry. Brady's the ultimate competitor. He and Aaron's, I think, will flourish together. This is a calculated move. He'll want to stick it to Belichick. So I, I think they're absolutely a contender. And listen, if they ended up with one of the top seeds in the a- NFC, that wouldn't surprise anybody. And that team, the, the, Jameis turned the ball over a historic amount of times, 30 interceptions, and they, they still won seven games. And he averaged, uh, what, almost two turnovers a game. Yeah, Todd Bowles' defense did a great, great job. And as we expected, because I think that right now 
he's probably at least the best defensive overall coordinator in that role in the NFL. And he's an obviously a coach who's got that perfect position to run that game. Uh, some of the games that they have coming up, at least overall out of division, like again, they're playing Drew Brees twice a year. That's something you have to deal with. I think that the question will fall onto if Brady ends up seeing a drop off at some point, because we've seen, uh, we saw with the Brett Favre Jets, the team went nine and seven. It was a poorer roster. We also saw Brett Favre with the Vikings. And up until that last year, where he's taking those extra hits, he still was slinging it around quite a bit. I could see it being very similar to that with the Vikings, but they're going to have outside of their division with a team in Atlanta that kind of overachieved at the end of the year and underachieved to begin with. Um, you have a They're rebuilding a little bit in their Atlanta, but you're talking about a Carolina team that's fully rebuilding, playing teams like Denver, the uh, playing the Giants, the Las Vegas Raiders, playing obviously the Packers he'll get to play Aaron Rodgers this year in prime time so it'll be a 12 versus 12 and then the LA Rams as well as the Chargers and the uh what is the other team as I said the Detroit Lions so it's not like it's a brutal or tough schedule for them obviously in the NFC it's a tougher tougher schedule and tougher road to get through because he's not in the AFC East anymore with you know going what is it four and two every single year? It seems like where they win four games pretty handily, and two teams give them their best effort. So I just I'll, I don't think New Orleans is gonna is gonna have the they won thirteen games last season and lost in the first round pretty convincingly. The Vikings controlled that playoff game. I, I just I'm not a believer in them. I think that they have peaked, they have plateaued. Their team, in my opinion, is. Um, I, I just think that, that that franchise is going to suffer significantly as Drew Brees begins to age, and you could already see that at times at the end of last year. Yep. Well, and that'll be the question again, is it, you know, to kind of touche for that, if that happens with Brady this year, and uh, or if you start seeing stubbornness from Arians or Brady starts taking some hits, that could happen in a flash too. I, I think I agree with you. It's a two-year deal. I think he's got at least one more good year in him, especially when you consider the lack of weapons that the Patriots had last year. Granted, they did have the number one defense, but with no weapons and no running game, they still managed to be effective enough. So I, I think that's going to be a big-time threat coming into the NFC. Uh, let's go ahead and pivot now to talking. Um, we've already seen a couple of quarterback moves that have gone around the league. You see Foles, who's gone to Chicago. Cam is a free agent. Andy Dalton's probably going to be released, along with uh, Joe Flacco, who was released. Jameis Winston's on the move. I'll be curious to see what happens with the Patriots. But the focus that we're going to have is going to be on the Arizona Cardinals, who ultimately have been the most uh, interesting team, I think, to follow in perhaps all of free agency. They've had some fantastic signings that they have made, at least for today. So let's go ahead and break those down. The first piece of news that we got after the DeAndre Hopkins um, trade report that came out was first thing was a signing of, uh, it was a defensive tackle, at least. It was Jordan, oh gosh, I'm trying to remember the name, at least, that they had for this one here. It was Jordan uh, Phillips. Phillips. That's right. Jordan Phillips uh, is a guy who had nine and a half sacks last year. Didn't have as many pressures overall, but they had a three-year, $30 million uh, deal seems like it's only about 12 million or so is what it sounded like was guaranteed um i think sure. overall that's really a good deal for a guy who's probably going to end up plugging in right as um a versatile lineman he's not going to be maybe the primary defensive pass rusher on the team he'll be in there kind of like what a Corey peters does in my opinion like not a nose tackle able to have that flexibility but ultimately he's there to be a run stuffer who's got upside to rush the passer so uh, what were your thoughts at least on the signing of Phillips because he's a guy who was a second round pick by Miami was cut from the team just did not uh did not do anything the Bills picked him up 
he became a starter, had his best year on record. Uh, he was with the uh, likes of Vance Joseph in Miami and some of his other coaches. They love him. They think that he's the world of him. I saw a lot of fans, John, that were kind of down on him because they were like, oh, this PFF grade isn't as good for all this, or oh, this is not as fun for all that. And it was kind of interesting because it's like, on one hand, you can say that a guy's production is a production. Cardinals believe that he's, his best is yet to come. I find it weird that you can just put a signing down of a guy saying, oh, that's not a good signing, while at the same time you're expecting that Brenton Buckner coming back to the Cardinals is going to boost yeah. your defensive line play. That Those two things don't go together. You can't put right. a guy down and, that's a, and that's then say, oh, and point. Buck is going to elevate him. You, you have to be able to recognize that if you believe Buck's going to elevate him, then he will. If you believe the player's not going to be good, okay, but it doesn't make sense to put those two together. And I have a lot of confidence after seeing Buck's work over with the Raiders and Cardinals that this may be a really quality signing similar to how Corey Peters is still sticking around for the cards making plays yeah and you mentioned Corey Peters he's got one year left on his contract um, and so you could see a scenario in which Jordan Phillips slides to that nose tackle spot this time next year but you mentioned it in 2020 he's playing uh, either right or left defensive end the five technique which is the th- uh, three four defensive end not the outside pass rusher obviously but the d end with his hand on the ground. The Cardinals have not had an impact defensive end since Calais Campbell left. Robert Kimdichie did not work out. Darius Phylon, mm-hmm. you're still paying dead money to him after they cut him last offseason. So they need Jordan Phillips to work out. And again, if he gives you anything close to what he gave Buffalo last year for the course of this agreement, it's going to be a good signing. At the end of the day, listen, I think we can all agree that the free agency market had had tears for defensive linemen. He was probably in the second or third tier, but I think we tried to prepare people on this podcast. Like they're not going to get an Armstead. You saw what you had to do to get, you know, DeForest Buckner, even though the Niners would have never traded him in in division. Chris Jones is not going anywhere. So then you start to move down. DJ Reader went for big money. Um, The kid from the Steelers went for huge money. The Cardinals weren't going to pay that because they had other needs to address. This is a nice, complimentary, solid starter with upside. Listen, he rushes the passer. Javion Clowney, and I know they're different positions, wants $20 million a year. He had three sacks last year yeah. in Seattle for a team that, you know, Taylor made their defense for them as a, as a 4-3 team that have, have produced really good defensive ends. He couldn't get after the quarterback. This guy, for, for Buffalo, comes out and almost has double-digit sacks as a defensive lineman. So... I this is somebody who I who I thought would have been a fantastic fit. You know, I had probably four or five guys I would have been happy with. You throw him in the mix, I, I would have been happy with like a Gerald McCoy. I would have been happy with a, obviously a Reader. I would have been happy with a Michael Brockers, who they were supposedly in on three years, thirty million. You mentioned it, twelve million dollars guaranteed. That's nothing. Um, they need to add girth and size and athleticism up front. He fits all of those. He's not old. He's 27. He'll be 28 when the season starts. But you just you keep continually stockpiling quality defensive linemen, quality players in the front seven to give you depth so that by midseason you're not suffering over the course of what we saw last year when they couldn't stop anybody. They had no defensive playmakers in their front seven outside of Jordan Hicks and Chandler Jones and to a lesser extent, Corey Peters. They had no depth. This is a nice signing. It's I don't even want to call it a complimentary piece. He's going to start and he's going to contribute. Yeah. And that is who can you name me their defensive ends last year after 
Zach Allen got hurt. I mean, practice level bad. It was like Zach Kerr was one. You had some Michael Dogby. You probably saw a lot more Rodney Gunter that came in there, at least, which we'll be able to touch on here in a second. But it was to the point of the Cardinals were probably, I think it was 23rd against the run. They were 31st against the pass. At some points, they were 32nd overall. Part of that was because they weren't able to get a lot of pressure up front and because of playing a lot of soft zone. Uh, if the Cardinals keep up with that, it's going to be issues this year. But the hope, at least, is that the team will be able to get more talent up front, be able to get more pressure on the quarterback from the interior. And I, I think, John, like you said, it wasn't like that it was a highly paid guy, but this is still a guy who was very highly sought after by teams because they knew he wasn't going to cost as much as some of the other guys who were there. So I think it's a great move for Arizona to be able to make because when you're looking at a lot of the guys who were signed, how much it was for I think he offers a bit more upside than any of them. And if it's a case where you're like, if he doesn't end up working out as much in free agency, I don't think it's going to be a case where, unless there is another type of Darius Phylon type of um, uh, thing that happens, God forbid, it's not like it's going to be a total bust move any either. It's going to be a spot where, okay, maybe he's not getting nine and a half sacks for that this year. Maybe it's a one and a half sack type of a season, but by still being able to be a run stuffer up front, who's a bo- just kind of getting a body in there, who's got some of that talent, I think that it is ultimately going to be at least a success. And especially for the price that you're paying, you're seeing a lot of guys taking that three-year deal, knowing that the cap is going to increase in 2021. So they're saying, hey, I want to get the security of multiple years now, but I want to make sure that we've got an out. So that way, if I can get a pay raise versus being locked into this five-year-long deal on an old expiring CBA. Any other thoughts, at least, on Phillips on the way out? Because overall, he seems like he's been a fun guy. A lot of people have at least praised um, he overall was pretty well regarded. Uh, it seems, and this is kind of an interesting comparison, like, uh, the Cardinals re-signed DJ Humphreys this year. He was kind of lambasted, was viewed as a bust by many people. He has since gone on to kind of establish himself, not quite as an offensive captain, but as kind of a leader in the locker room. Well, uh, health permitting, I think, will be the big question for him coming off his first 16-game season. feels very much like it's almost a redemption story in a lot of ways, similar to DJ Humphreys that we've seen now with Jordan Phillips. Yeah, and I think I would just preface this by saying that you know what? Defensive elite defensive linemen do not hit free agency. You do not find Chris Joneses do not make the market. I think we've seen that now. Um, I think we're also seeing Blake that this draft class is not particularly strong at defensive end and to a greater extent pass rusher. So what are you watching these teams do? They're spending big big time money on defensive tackles. That was the first Mm -hmm. wave of players to be signed on Monday was because of the fact that this draft class is not great. It's strong at receiver, maybe quarterback, certainly offensive tackle, not defensive tackle. So I don't even want to call Jordan Phillips an overpay, but I think it's a supply and demand situation. The Cardinals need to bide their time. They cannot fill every need um, in one offseason, even though Steve Kimes seems to be trying to his, uh, to his credit. They can go out, hopefully in the next couple years, and spend a high draft pick on a first or second round defensive tackle or defensive end, and hopefully it works out, and they can find their next Darnell Dockett or Calais Campbell if they're lucky. And this is probably indirectly telling you what I think of Derek Brown, but it's just it's not a great defensive line class, so you have to, in my opinion, you got to double down. I think they're going to add at least one more defensive lineman, and I think Jordan Phillips was a, a great starting point, Blake. 
Yeah, absolutely. The next move, the Cardinals, they seem to have made about one move per day. It's been like since the free agency opened. We heard about the Hopkins news during the tampering period, heard of Phillips the next day. Uh, We also then ended up hearing about Devin Kennard, who was uh, cut previously from the Detroit Lions. He had three sacks of Kyler Murray uh, from the linebacker position in the first game of the 2019 season. He's from here. He's a local product out of Desert Vista High School for those listening from Arizona. Uh, I actually live not not too close, but within about a 20-minute drive of Desert Vista High School. Uh, He's coming back into town. His father also played for the Cardinals. John, we had a lot of conversations um, for both, uh, and this is kind of what I think summed it up, about Marcus Golden and a potential return to the Cardinals. With the signing of Kennard, it seems unlikely at best that Golden will be returning. There's always two things that we said with Golden. The first one was he's a double-digit sack guy every single year, so you are going to have to pay for that. Uh, at age 29. That is the first thing that came up. Obviously, the fit, the person, everything was something you liked. The second thing, and this is even something we brought up with Walter Mitchell on our podcast, was, well, he's not really a guy who can drop back and be able to cover as well. Like, if you need to drop a linebacker out to be able to cover uh, running back in the flat to cover a, a tight end momentarily before a safety comes in, that's not really Golden's game. Golden fits much more of the Todd Bowles blitzing, guys getting upfield for a lot of that, maybe fitting more of like a wide 9-4-3. That wasn't really Marcus Golden's game. So we kind of, and this is something where the Cardinals were still talking, I think you had reported at least with Golden for a little bit, we had heard that there was a huge shift, especially even amongst Cardinals media toward Devon Kennard where as soon as he was released it was almost like instantaneous like oh bring that guy back in it seems very likely to me that someone probably tipped a lot of them off that they wanted Kennard Um, I think this is a fantastic fit for the Cardinals because of the athleticism Um, if you want to have a treat um, there's a site called mockdraftable.com you can go to it and be able to type in it'll show you kind of a little spider graph of each of the Cardinals play or each of the NFL players is it Donovan Kennard and the wider and bigger the graph is, the more athletic they are at that position. You look at Marcus Golden, you see he's an effort sack guy who uses technique, gets upfield. You look at Kennard, and he's got a higher weight, higher speed, a lot more athletic ability tested, much, much higher. Um, he tweets out that he heard the hungry, do- hungry dogs hunt best, and he said, boy, I'm starving. Um, the Cardinals, they got a $12 million guaranteed, so about $6 million or so per year. And this is crazy, I think, as you take a look at the um, player, at least. And as far as with Kennard, he's in a very rare company uh, overall when they're talking about the stats. Um, Kennard is one of, let me make sure I get this one right here, uh, since 2014. This is tweeted out last year in September uh, 24th of 2019. There's only five linebackers, we're only five linebackers in the NFL with 250 tackles, 15 sacks, three forced fumbles, and one pick. It was... Uh, Chandler Jones, the Cardinals' own, Khalil Mack, Von Miller, Jamie Collins, and Devon Kennard. So you're talking about a player who, uh, even though he only had about three and a half or so sacks last year, a lot of Lions fans said that he was a part of the problem. He's now coming to a Cardinals team that is not kind of as messy as the Lions' defense was last year. They had Trey Flowers on him, and that was about it. He's coming to hopefully a scheme where he'll be able to be a better fit. Um, I don't know if the sack numbers will be as high, but if he can at least fill that toolbox role of being able to generate or get pressure, get after the quarterback um, in a better way than Terrell Suggs did, and maybe a more consistent way than Hassan Reddick did, and also being able to have a lot of the wherewithal and coverage, this may be end up the, I guess you could say, not the splashiest signing, but it might be the most valuable signing that the Cardinals will make at least this offseason. John, your thoughts on Kennard? Yeah, you know, they clearly pivoted 
because they were talking to Marcus Golden throughout the month of February and in the early portion of March. Blake and I were texting, and I got tipped off that they were still in contact with him. He remains unsigned as of tonight, which yeah. is shocking. He's got he, he probably wants ten, probably wants ten million sack probably wants ten million a year at least one per yeah. sack, and I don't know if a lot of teams are hoping to sign him for that. And maybe it hinges on if Clowney signs first and what the amount is. A team may swing sure. at Marcus Golden after that, but who's going to sign Clowney for the money he wants? Nobody. And so it's it's unfortunate because I did I was rooting for the Marcus Golden um, reunion to happen because I. I do think he's a really good player, and I know the Cardinals think that. And they would listen. I w- do. I think he's going to come back at this point. No, um, but I also think that if if this didn't happen, I expected him to be on the team. I expected the Cardinals to make it work financially. He had, and not to go off track here in a minute, but he's got so many friends on the team still. Um, not so much anymore because Rodney Gunter signed with Jacksonville, and they were very close. He's replacing he, Calais Campbell. Isn't that yeah, crazy? Yeah, trickle down effect, three years, man. Huh? Yeah. So um, he's very close with Chandler Jones still. He's got friends still that that live in Phoenix. So you know they pivoted. They they saw the writing on the wall. Um, there was a, a great um, tweet by Jess Root of Cardswire, Cardswire who said during this period where we thought that they were going to shop him, Kennard being the Lions, because they were looking for a trade partner before they eventually released him. Wouldn't it be something if you just swapped Hassan Reddick for Devin Kennard, which would have made a ton of sense, in my opinion. Well, the Cardinals didn't even have to do that. I'm sure they got the first phone call, the first meeting with him. I'm, I'm sure he was super amped up to, to come home back to Arizona. Listen, I, I, I am not from Arizona. Fair warning. You guys probably know that by now if you – listen to this podcast. So I am not big Mr. Let's go home again. Um, partially because what happened with Terrell Suggs last year kind of left a bad taste in my mouth when we overplay that because everything yeah. I heard last year was, oh man, it's so great that they're bringing a 37-year-old Terrell Suggs back to where he came from and they were remedying the draft era and all that stuff. I'm not saying this is it because clearly, he, you know, Devin's 28 years old. Hopefully he's in the peak of his career, even though he'll be 29 this summer. Uh, but be that, that means that doesn't mean a whole lot to me. Can he play? Can he help their defense come from the graveyard and be respectable? I think he can definitely help. And I think to your point, Blake, what we saw last year, too many instances in which Chandler Jones, because he was much more athletic than anybody on the roster at linebacker was asked to drop back far too much. And now you can let Chandler Jones pin his ears back even more, which is a scary thought. And you can use Devin uh, a little bit more in coverage. He's a little bit more of a versatile player. He's certainly not small. He's 6'3", 260. And again, I you know, I, I think the sack numbers will be there because I think that Chandler just gives other players opportunities to succeed. And I think he did that for Marcus Golden once upon a time. And I think he'll do it for, for Devin Kennard. And listen, his contract was modest as well. But what I like most about him is that he is the kind of player that fills out the meat, the middle of your roster, where we talk about the Cardinals are far too heavy at the top of the roster, even after this free agency period, with really, really good players. They have about, what, five to seven of them. Then there's a huge plateau, and then they have a bunch of guys who probably shouldn't be on the roster. And I'm Mm -hmm. talking about backups or a couple starters, right, that shouldn't be starters. Devin Kennard is a very competent NFL starter. He's not making very much money. He's going to be, at worst, a rotational player if they draft somebody. 
but somebody yeah. that he, I think he's going to be a starter outside of, like you said, John, any type of a trade back or a different type of move that they would make uh, seems very much entrenched to that starting role is what it seems like. Well, what I like most about him is he's a tremendous locker room guy. He was a team captain in Detroit, very well thought of everything that you saw on social media said that this is not going to sit well with players in that locker room. Geez, that the Lions locker room right now between that and Darius Slay situation can't be a good place to be, but I, I I applaud the signing. I like it. The the outside linebacker market, the pass rusher market has gotten insane. When Leonard Floyd is being given $13 million to play for the Rams, the, the, the Dante Fowler contract was pretty crazy, even though supposedly, according to sources, the Cardinals were semi in on him. So the Cardinals, you know, I tweeted this out the day that, that Kennard got signed. The Cardinals were absolutely going to leave free agency with a starting caliber outside linebacker. And I think they got in terms of his production, probably the best priced. And who does that sound like a year ago? Jordan Hicks. So yeah, hopefully best it turns and out. the best fit also. I think that the fit sure. here is incredibly important too. Sure. So hopefully that, that turns out just as well, but you know, kudos to he and his family. I'm sure they're thrilled being able to come back to the desert and I'm excited to see what he can do in the three, four. Yeah, I am as well. The um, And this is something at least in our own Walter Mitchell talked about for just the scheme for the Cardinals and how uh, Vance's scheme is a bit different. Normally when you talk about a 3-4 or a 4-3, usually in a 4-3 you've got some roles that they call out the uh, – the Sam, the Will, the Mike. Essentially, it just it's a way that you think of how NFL teams were able to categorize the two different sides. You put a tight end on one side, that's the strong side. They called that the Sam. You got the weak side is the opposite of the strong side, so they called that the Will. And then your middle of the field is going to be your Mike is what they'll call the backer. So Vance does it a bit differently. He always plays his Sam or his strong side linebacker on a tight end because you may have to rush the passer. The tight end's block, block, blocking. You may end up rushing the passer, let the tight end run by, or you may end up uh, rushing the passer and the um, uh, the uh, not letting the tight end run by, but he's like kind of in their chip or trying another type of uh, stunt or another move. Long story short, last year, like you said, John, Chandler Jones was way too often having to be put on that tight end side because Terrell Suggs could not <laughs> cover a tight end if he needed to be. That's the third thing you do. You can drop back and cover that tight end off of the line sometimes as well. So as a result, that meant that you're talking about your primary pass rushing role, which is just trying to get against a tackle one-on-one. It's on the opposite side of the field. Chandler Jones is having to take on oftentimes like a tackle and a tight end at times. So once they cut Terrell Suggs, that was part of what led to Chandler Jones' four-sack explosion, and we got to see through the 20 sacks in the season. He still is that same guy that we've seen in that 2017 season who went off for 17 sacks. great fit in the 3-4 by being able to have a guy who can cover moving Chandler to that opposite side you got someone you can trust I think it's going to help in a lot of ways hopefully it'll allow the Cardinals to be able to bring a lot more blitzes because they can not have to worry about covering that tight end they couldn't put us on Reddick or Cassius Marsh in that role last year I think it leads to a lot more of potential for Vance Joseph to not just get you know 20 sacks of production out of Chandler Jones Hopefully you can now manufacture where there's a lot more pressure that's given. I don't know if Chandler will be able to come close to those numbers again. Uh, hopefully he can stay healthy and be able to perform at a higher level, but I think the ceiling is super high. Speaking of linebackers, this is kind of maybe not as much of a surprise in some cases, but looking at the names who are left, it certainly is a pleasant one. 
And that would be uh, the Cardinals making another move today. Uh, they look to, oddly enough, the Atlanta Falcons defense signed Devondre Campbell, who is a uh, linebacker. He played essentially, he, he said in his own words, almost any position. He played anywhere from safety to he even played like down his like off of the edge at times. He's also played um, in terms of coverage. He's a great zone coverage linebacker. Uh, there's a lot of times where the Falcons fans are plenty who are like, hey, like I want him back, but I want him back at the right price. He goes and signs a one-year $8 million deal with the Cardinals. And from the word out of the Cardinals are saying is that they're expecting because he's a great type of cover linebacker this will be one of those guys that we can do to, to work with and deal with tight ends like i don't know if they're going to specifically say for that reason but they feel like this is kind of a they're pushing in a lot of their chips i don't know if it excludes that in the draft necessarily it is a one-year deal but what were your thoughts on this signing john because to me looking at who is left in free agency we saw guys who were like jamie collins was signed and snapped up uh, Corey littleton making about 12 million or so dollars on a multi-year contract the raiders also they paid both of their linebackers it looked like with nick Kwiat, uh, kwiatkowski i believe out of the bears what were your thoughts on the Cardinals signing Campbell? This is kind of like the last um, free agent move that we've seen, at least for them to make thus far. Well, listen, they had to sign an inside linebacker. They could not go into the draft without a starting inside linebacker next to Jordan Hicks. We saw how that worked out last year. Hassan Reddick's, I think, on borrowed time with this franchise. I don't think he has a place on this team, unless you want to call him a situational pass rusher at this point. But listen... The Cardinals had to go out and get somebody. We thought maybe they'd go after Corey Littleton. They showed no interest. Joe Schobert, they showed no interest. They are in the one-year prove-it deal market for a linebacker. And this linebacker class, hopefully they can navigate and find one that fits as an inside backer and hopefully be on a four-year cheap rookie deal. I think they like the rookie uh, inside linebackers in this class, just my hunch, and there happens to be a a inside linebacker safety hybrid player that could be available at pick eight now <laughs> that it's it's freed up oh, a little we'll bit. see so we'll see yeah, yeah yeah we'll see if that ends up happening but and i do not think it would dis- discount them from from drafting him by the way but i will say this devondre campbell what what more do you want out of a free agent one year prove it deal the guy is 26 years old he had 75 solo tackles two sacks three forced fumbles two picks now, you want to say a lot of those numbers were hollow stats? Fine. Given the fact that, you know what, very similar to the Cardinals, Atlanta just wasn't very good last year. Well, Devondre Campbell was probably their best linebacker last year, and they played some of their best defense toward the end of the year, and he played some of his best football toward the end of the year. They played Carolina on November 17th. He was the leading tackler, had 12 tackles, had an interception, had a pass defense. Okay, they they almost shut Carolina out 29 to three. This is essentially this stretch of football saved their head coach's job. And that's why he's back. They played San Francisco, if you remember, on the 15th of December Mm -hmm. and beat them 29 to 22. He had 11 tackles and a forced fumble in that game. The last game of the season against red hot Tampa Bay that was winning left and right, a divisional game, he had a safety in that game. He makes plays. Now, is he a a franchise inside linebacker? He's not, okay? But at the same time, he's somebody I think that can come in, be a bridge to a rookie, or can be somebody that you can pivot to and Mm -hmm. say, 
you know what? You had a really nice season for us. We're going to give you a three-year extension. Yeah, like how Max Williams. We saw that just happen with Max Williams coming in from that one-year deal and then gets a two-year extension on top of it for the Cardinals, gets rewarded for the play. I think it's a great comparison, John. Yeah, I just I there is no downside to this. People are up in arms about this and the Jordan Phillips signing. I mean, the Phillips signing, sure, there were other options, but with Campbell, I mean, you're getting him for, you know, under ten million, roughly eight million dollars. He's gonna come in and start for you. And if he gets benched for a rookie, hopefully that means the rookie is really good. I don't see that happening. And I put this out on Twitter. He's just better than anybody they had. And for the for the price tag, it's a great signing. I put that out. To, I, it's probably outside of DeAndre Hopkins, my favorite move that they've done so far this offseason. Well, yeah, you've got to stop the tight end at some point. And we'll finally at least have a player uh, who will be able to hopefully plug into Vance's defense, be able to help address that tight end position. You're wanting improvement there from the 17 touchdowns given up a year ago and seeing guys run all over. What I think is most impressive is when you're talking about the production he has, he's got 129 tackles this year. Uh, Jordan Hicks was third in the NFL with 150 tackles. He ranked 13th. You're talking about 279 tackles from last year. Add in Buda Baker, who I believe finished fourth in the league with tackles. I think the biggest thing is that while we're expecting that the Cardinals need to improve against the pass, the odds are they have to. They specifically have to because they were 31st last year, like how the Cardinals were 32nd in offense uh, a year ago, and then they jumped up to about 22nd or 21st or so in 2019. They have to be able to jump up a bit higher for that. So I think that while we're saying that the pass defense is going to improve, the run defense, in my opinion, is going to be probably the biggest improvement. All right, uh, that's going to basically, I think, wrap it up for us for this edition. Um, we'll be coming back at least with a few more of the free agency moves, and we'll be focusing a lot more on uh, the number eight pick and the number 72 pick. The Cardinals now at least have a whole brand new decision to make. Uh, just as we're wrapping up, John, at least, um, do you have any thoughts or inclinations on where you think, because we said last time it'll be a right tackle, what happens if the Cardinals are able to bring and sign in another right tackle? Because I, I think that the Cardinals still could do that. I think they're likely to do that because I think they'll want to address all of the holes they have on their team, even if they know who they're going to draft, just so that other teams have a little bit of hesitation and might not know who they would be picking. I think anybody at this point at tackle is going to compete with Justin Murray. I think if Justin Murray had made it to the open market right now, he'd get a nice deal. I don't think the options are all that enticing and i think if they bring somebody in they're swinging their depth um but certainly not anybody that could challenge the fact that i think the eighth pick barring something unforeseen or an elite prospect falling to them will be will be used on an offensive tackle um and there are four right now who i think could all fit in that position i have my preference as do other people but i think the writing's on the wall and i wrote an article about it on revenge of the birds.com time has filled every hole but one and that's right tackle blake yep absolutely and we'll be talking more about that next time on the next podcast for that as well thanks again for joining us um again if you want to follow on twitter my name is at blake murphy seven that's the handle you can also follow me on revenge of the birds uh, john where can the listeners find you and they're looking for your content as we break down uh, free agency and continue with these shows during the um uh kind of lo- well not like quite the sports love and cholera i guess you could at least say in some ways Sure. I'm at Johnny Touchdown on Twitter. And then, of course, here are the ROTV podcast and RevengeOfTheBirds.com having articles, hopefully on a a weekly, uh, sometimes multiple weekly basis, Blake. Absolutely. Hey, thanks again so much for joining us with the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We'll be back with more cards, news and cards content, your complete cards coverage. Thanks again for tuning in, everyone.